Hi, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode of Star Trek deals with suicide, and frankly, not very well. I'll address that in the red alert section of the show. But if you have been impacted by suicide, please accept my thoughts and my support. And if you're considering suicide, please know that I do not want you to hurt yourself. If you're in the United States, call 1-800-273-8255 or text HOME to 741-741. According to the CDC, in the United States in 2019, 12 million adults seriously thought about suicide. Three and a half million planned a suicide attempt and 1.4 million actually attempted suicide. Visit cdc.gov slash suicide if you want to learn more. Thank you and live, lead, and prosper. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me today. We join now Commander Deanna Troy in a mystery episode as she and Worf investigate the suicide of a crew member. Riker shows us the value of forging meaningful relationships with the people you work with, while Picard, once again, teaches us the value of trust and in listening to the people you work with. Let's get into it. It's Season 7, Episode 18 of The Next Generation, Eye of the Beholder. Red Alert! The plasma venting system for the warp nacelles is failing and there is nothing anyone can do about it. Now that's a super big deal. Worf and Riker are climbing to the nacelle tube to see what's happening. They find Lieutenant Nara there trying to shut down the plasma flow. Worf gets right to work helping her. She says that Lieutenant Quan has locked out the controls. He's up on the catwalk just, just standing there staring intently at the plasma flow. Nara's afraid that he's going to jump into the flow, so so Riker very carefully approaches. Dad, it's me. It's Will Riker. Quan, continuing to stare at the plasma flow, not looking at Riker, responds. I saw them, and they laughed at me. Riker tries to connect. He says he wants to help, that, that he wants to see his face. But Quan, Quan says that he knows what he has to do. And then, and then he leaps into the plasma stream, just as Worf is shutting it down. He's too late. Quan dies, and Riker's left there, just seeing where Quan was. Riker and Worf meet with Troy and Picard. Riker said that he'd been working with Quan. Troy also recently met with him during crew evaluations. They're both confused. He seemed, he seemed to be so positive and in, 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 in such good spirits. Picard wants to be able to give Quan's parents and family some, some context, some details as to what happened. So he asks Worf and Troy to investigate. They head out to examine his personal logs. A very problematic scene follows where Data is talking to Geordi and he's trying to understand suicide. Now, if you watch this episode, you know, I, I kind of recommend skipping this scene. It doesn't add anything. And honestly, it's 
Honestly, it's just pretty ignorant. And, and frankly, frankly, it's insulting. Troy and Worf go through Quan's quarters and his personal logs. They learn that he's been dating Ensign Calloway, a, a medical tech. And then in the middle of the day, he leaned in. And I thought, oh my God, he's going to kiss me now. So I leaned in too. But he leaned in and he asked me to look at one of his moles. I'm always pretty fascinated by the concept of personal logs in Star Trek. Like, like we get to see some of his here and like, he's literally just, he's just looking into a Trek themed webcam and, and chatting about his day. Well, they watched the last entry that he made just before going on duty. After pulling two double shifts in a row, I'm really looking forward to spending some time with Maddie. I mean, that's great. It's, it's awesome that he's excited to see his girlfriend, but, but who's, who says that? Like who just makes a video of them, of them saying that? What's up everybody. Welcome back to my channel. <sighs> maybe, I don't know if you're into journaling, maybe, maybe you can help me understand, but me, I just don't get it. Troy decides to meet with Ensign Calloway. She's really compassionate. I know it's hard to talk right now, but it would be very helpful if you could tell me a few things about him. And they get some visual stuff really right in this scene. Like they're meeting in an office, but instead of sitting on opposing sides of the desk, Troy sits in a different chair right beside Callaway. I really, I really appreciate it when they show Troy, you know, being a counselor. She's, she's really great. Well, Callaway doesn't add a lot of context here, just they were planning some shore leave together and there was some tension apparently between Quan and Nara. One piece she does drop, though, that, that pays off here in a little bit, is that Quan was very sensitive to how others felt. Troy says that as a Napian, he may have been partially empathic. Now, that's important because Troy, as a half-Betazoid, is also empathic. So, store that away. That's going to that's gonna mean something here in just a minute. After her conversation with Calloway, she heads back to the nacelle to look around the area and question Lieutenant Nara. She says that Quan's performance was, was excellent and that he actually helped build the Enterprise back when he was stationed at Utopia Planitia. That's a shipyard where Starfleet builds many of its ships. It's got facilities on Mars and the dry docks orbit the planet. Is there life on Mars? Nara heads back to her duties, so Troy looks around. When she climbs onto the catwalk where Quan was standing, she is absolutely overwhelmed with emotion and heads straight to sickbay. Dr. Crusher examines her and says she's healthy. Everything looks fine. Worf says that scans didn't bring up anything of note. And Troy explains that the emotions that she felt were, were just, just there, just in the room. So Crusher asks, Could the fact that Lieutenant Quan was partially empathic have anything to do with it? And then she says the emotions that Troy described could be consistent with suicide. They decide to go back to the nacelle tube and have Troy experience the emotional onslaught again. Crusher cautions them so they agree to wait for a few hours so that she can recover from the experience. And she needs to do it under the supervision of somebody else and Worf volunteers. In the meantime, they review his logs again and talk through Troy's experience. In recent episodes, a little context here for you, these two have been developing a romantic relationship, and they've got really good chemistry here. After the discussion, Worf heads out and gets a drink at 10 forward. 
Worf's at the bar and Riker comes up and he is rocking some unbelievable civilian threads. Yeah, looking real good, Will. After that, Troy and Worf meet up in the nacelle tube. Troy feels the onslaught once again and now, now she's having a vision. There's a female technician just backing away from her, screaming, absolutely terrified. She then sees a horrifying man just staring down at her. It's back and forth, weird flashes to and from the vision, and suddenly, Worf is gone, and the tube that they're in is under construction. It looks like she's in the ship back when it was being built at Utopia Planitia. She hears some people, opens the door, and and it's the woman that she just saw a moment ago screaming, but now she's with a different man, and they're making out in a closet. They look at her, stare for a minute, and they start laughing. (laughs) When suddenly, Counselor, are you all right? And she's back in the present. They meet with Picard and Data to review what's happened. They confirm that she's likely experienced something that happened eight years ago when the ship was being built. They make the assumption that she was kind of seeing things from the role of Lieutenant Quan, like seeing through his eyes from back when he was there at the shipyard. They agree to go back and have her try to experience more of the vision in about a day, about 16 hours or so, so that she can recover again. And so Dr. Crusher can prepare some preventative medication for her. While that's happening, she pours through personnel records trying to identify the people in the vision. There were literally thousands of people involved in building the Enterprise. And she finds the guy. That's him. Lieutenant Walter Pierce. And he's serving on the Enterprise right now. Worf and Troy head out to question him. He seems innocent. Doesn't appear to really have any knowledge of anything weird that happened back then, but but Troy is suspicious. The strange thing is, I couldn't read him at all. She was relying on her empathy to get a read on, on whether or not he was telling the truth. I am your truth, sir, my lord. She assumes that he has some telepathic ability, but, but things just don't quite line up for her. They head back to Troy's quarters and decide to download and check all the engineering logs from the shipyard. Apparently... That'll take some time, so they decide to fill that time. A pretty hilarious scene follows. They're, uh, they're, they wake up. Breakfast is ready. And then Crusher calls Troy to let her know that the medication is ready. And then she calls Worf to update him on an entirely different assignment. It just, it just shows that she didn't know they were to, I don't know, you probably had to watch it for it to make any sense. It's stupid funny, but I don't know, it cracked me up. They get ready to head out and tension ramps up just a little bit. Worf has been working with Ensign Calloway on this other assignment. And Worf can't join Troy in the nacelle tube and we get, we get just a glimpse of a little bit of jealousy from her. In the tube, she's joined by Jordy and Data. They're taking some scans and examining the area. They find a location that she saw in her vision and that Quan was working on before he climbed up on the catwalk. They open it up, and suddenly Troy is having her vision again. She sees the woman screaming. She sees the man again. She thinks it's Pierce, and he's just staring at her. She comes to and tells Jordy what happened. With the panel open and the shielding down, they find organic material in the scans. They find, they find human remains. It's a skeleton. They take the bones to sickbay where Ensign Calloway begins examining them. 
Worf joins her and Troy is distracted, just, just watching the two of them stand together. The music suggests that that glimpse of jealousy we saw a minute ago, yeah, that's, that's starting to grow. Despite that, Calloway is successful. She identifies who the remains are from. That's her. That's the woman I saw. They do some more cross-referencing and see that Quan didn't arrive to the station until six months after Marla Finn, Marla Finn is the, the victim, uh, until six months after Marla Finn was reported missing. So the vision that Troy's been seen has not been through his eyes. Oh, the mystery deepens. Worf suggests it was Pierce, and, and Troy immediately rejects that theory. She says that she saw him, so, so it couldn't be from his point of view. Until, as she's saying this, she sees her own face in a reflection and realized that that is how she was seeing him. She was seeing this from Pierce's point of view. Worf goes to pull him in for more questioning, but before he goes... Before he goes, he makes some kind of bedroom eyes and says, Edson Calloway, thank you for your help. Oops. In the turbo lift, Troy confronts him about it. He says that he doesn't have any regrets about what they've done together and agrees to meet her after he interrogates Pierce. Pierce! Pierce! Pierce, get beers, Pierce! In her quarters, she, for some reason, is wearing her early TNG gray and purple outfit. Pierce, Pierce comes in, comes to her quarters. So she immediately calls security, and then she calls Worf. But Worf doesn't answer. Lieutenant Worf is in Ensign Calloway's quarters. Oh, no. Well, security arrives. They take Pierce to his quarters, and she heads right to Calloway's place. And she sees them. She sees them making out. They look at her. They stare. And they start laughing at her, just, just like in her vision. So she, so she grabs a phaser and kills him. She straight up blasts him in the chest with the phaser, distraught and overcome. She stumbles her way out of the quarters and right into Pierce. You know what you have to do. She climbs a Jeffrey's tube to the nacelle tube. She stares down the plasma flow and Worf pulls her away. You see, the whole, the whole thing happened in the few seconds after she and Worf first went to investigate the area. It was all just a vision. Data learns, based on her experiences, that Pierce, Marla Finn, and the others that she saw in her vision all died in a plasma burst eight years ago. Troy doesn't buy it, though. She thinks Pierce killed Finn and the man when he found them cheating and then triggered the plasma burst. Picard listens to her, validates what she says, but unfortunately, there's, there's really no way to verify what happened. And that's kind of it. No resolution, no plan to make sure this doesn't happen again, but, but hey, I'm, I'm sure it'll all be all right. <laughs> right? What a cool idea for an episode, right? Telepathic person does some murder and then kills themselves, but leaves a telepathic residue that triggers the event for others. I mean, yeah, that, that could be fun and interesting, but but it just isn't. I mean, ugh, what a slog of an episode that's really saved only by Marina Sirtis' acting and, and the chemistry between Troy and Worf. Come to Quark's glasses fun. Come right now. Don't walk. Run. Run. 
Managing contracts and agreements is a pain. You have to track everything on your own. You have to set reminders for renewals and expiration dates, follow up with customers or vendors when they don't respond in time, and you need to keep stakeholders up to date. <sighs> it's just too much. Just getting started can be overwhelming because there are so many details involved. And if you make a mistake, like it could cost you serious money and lost revenue or worse, set you and your business up for failure. Well, I found a solution. Zapendo makes managing contracts easy by taking care of the hard stuff for you automatically. Like, it'll remind everyone on your team who needs to know about an upcoming contract renewal or an expiration date change. It will save you so much time that you would otherwise be wasting tracking down these details yourself. And thanks to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, you can save 15% when you decide to save time with Zapendo. Visit www.zapendo.com and enter the code SFLA when you subscribe. Zapendo gives the power to manage contracts, edit them on the fly, send for e-signature, manage expirations and alerts, and even more. And you can access it today by visiting zapendo.com. That's Z-A-P-E-N-D-O dot com and use the offer code SFLA when you subscribe. You can also click the link in the show notes. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Did you just survive another meeting that should have been an email or not even have happened at all? Do you dream of efficient, meaningful meetings? Then you need Lucid Meetings. Lucid Meetings makes it easy for teams to run successful meetings every day. Visit lucidmeetings.com to explore free workshops, free resources, and to learn more. Lucid Meetings, because teams that meet well accomplish more and have more fun. Visit lucidmeetings.com today. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. This episode is very much a product of its time. It came out in February of 94 and had some had some really great intentions. I mean, suicide is one of the leading causes of death, and Star Trek made an attempt to meld a cool sci-fi concept with a message discouraging the act, but but I think it just failed. It minimized what suicide is and why people choose to commit it. Data's line about choosing to see obstacles as challenges to be overcome instead of an end in the context of suicide is, frankly, it's, it's ignorant and, and it's dangerous. I chose instead to treat the problems I was having with my systems as challenges to overcome rather than obstacles to be avoided. I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, and I apologize, but but Dr. Paul G. Quinnett, he's the director of the QPR Institute, wrote an incredible book. It's called Suicide, The Forever Decision. I, I'm going to make this book available to all of you for free. I, I ask only two things in return. 
First, read it. Second, share a copy with someone you know, or even everyone you know. This is a very well-written book with practical tools for people considering suicide, and it's helpful for the people around them as well. One thing I was surprised to learn when I read the book is that most people who commit suicide are not mentally ill. He says the great majority of people who attempt or complete a suicide are just so sad or hopeless or, or, or so angry, they simply can't stand life anymore. In this episode, Quan's empathic abilities and the telepathic residue are clearly meant to create a, a sci-fi version of a, of a mental illness, so, so big miss here as well. And I am by no means a mental health expert or an expert on suicide or a medical professional of any kind. But I do know some things. Like, I know that if someone around you is thinking about suicide and you know it or have reason to believe it, you need to bring it up. You need to say something. Hopefully talk about it. Now, you're not there to solve their problems or even necessarily to stop them. The way I see it, you're there to say eight words, eight very simple words that can tip the scales dramatically. I do not want you to hurt yourself. That's it. I do not want you to hurt yourself. The other thing I know about suicide is that it hurts. It hurts a lot to lose someone you care about to suicide. When I was 21, one of our good friends committed suicide. His mom called another one of our friends to let him know. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget when he told me what, what happened. My heart, sorry, my heart just broke. And it still breaks. It's breaking right now as I talk about it. So, sorry. So I applaud Star Trek for trying. I, I have to believe that their intent was good. And honestly, sorry, excuse me. Honestly, if, it, if this episode stopped even one person from committing suicide, then, then my analysis here is worthless. But know that we can impact a person's decision. Eight words. I do not want you to hurt yourself. And please, 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 Please download the book that is linked in the show notes. Read it and share it. Okay, I'm sorry. I paused recording for a minute. There are some fun things about this episode too. The person that played Marla Finn, who we only saw for a few brief moments, is, is actually the stand-in for Marina Surtees. It's, it's kind of cool that she got a moment to herself on camera. And other than that, though, this, this just wasn't much. There are a lot of people that say that TNG ran out of steam around the seventh season and that this episode, this episode, in my opinion, supports that notion. Like, it's not bad, you know, it's, it's just not good. And seriously, seriously, what is the deal with Troy having to wear that weird gray jumpsuit thing again? It was just about a year ago. She finally started wearing an actual uniform. I just, I don't know. I don't understand why they would have gone back to it. So if you're listening to this before watching the episode, I, I I think I'd recommend giving this one a skip or not, whatever. That's, 
that's basically my take on this one. Command codes verified. At its core, this was a mystery episode focused on Troy and Worf. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to watch closely to catch the leadership moments in this one. But good news. I've already done that for you, and there are some great takeaways in this one. Both Riker and Picard have moments in this one for all of us to take to heart. They connect with the people around them in a deep and personal way. And Picard hits two home runs here. First, he shows absolute trust in the abilities of his team. And second, he is an incredible listener. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. In the open of the episode, when Riker is approaching Quan, I absolutely love what he tries to do here. Dad, it's me. It's Will Riker. He makes it personal. There's no rank here. There's no hierarchy. He uses first names and references a shared experience. I was here yesterday, remember? This may not seem like a lot, like at first glance, but remember... The Enterprise has about a thousand crew members. That's that's a lot of people. Dan Kwan is a Lieutenant Junior Grade or Lieutenant JG. That's one step above an ensign, an O2. So basically, he's just one step above entry level. And like there's probably like two or three hundred of him running around the ship. And there's only one executive officer and that executive officer is one of only three commanders on the ship that we know of right there's Riker of course Dr. Crusher and Troy Troy having just earned her promotion two episodes before this one but hundreds of lieutenant JG's and one executive officer and that dude not only knew his name well you do know who I am don't you Arkansas Dave Rudabaugh <laughs> I know the name but had also spent time with him that he remembered. Talking about this really reminds me of one of my jobs in high school. I washed dishes at a buffet. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I brought this job up before. It, it honestly offered a lot to shape my views on leadership. There were quite a few of us that worked there. I don't know, maybe like I don't know, 40 or 50, I guess. I mean, come on, give me a break. This is like 30 some odd years ago. So forgive me if I don't exactly remember. And I was, I was in the most entry-level position possible, right? Washing dishes. I could have quit my job and they could have pulled any random person in, spent, I don't know, 10 minutes showing them how to load and unload a dishwasher and they'd be back in business. But there was this one manager, I think he was the assistant store manager, Matt. I, I guess he was kind of like the XO. He, he was my Riker. Well, I remember him specifically because he went out of his way to get to know everyone that worked there. He knew our names. He knew what we liked, what our, what our future plans were. It was cool. Like it, it made me feel like someone there cared about me, cared about Jeff Aiken. And, and what that did is encourage me. It encouraged me to work my butt off. Now, I was impressed when I was one of 50. Imagine how cool it would be if you were one of a thousand and the second to the top person remembered your name and what you'd been doing. This is why Riker is one of the best examples of a first officer that we see in Star Trek. In fact, 
in a Twitter tournament that I ran back in March of 2021, you voted him the best out of 16 XOs in Star Trek. But he takes the time to get to know and to connect with the people he works with. So what does this look like where you work? For those of you working in the service industry or at a restaurant, right, this is so critical. The high-pressure moments, like that dinner rush that just flies in. All right, men, this is it. The time has come. Remember product pride, portion consciousness. Zero hour is upon us. Let us seize the day. Yeah, yeah, carpe diem. God, I can't wait to quit this job. If you've built up connections with your team, they're going to show up for you every time. When things go wrong, as they do, they're going to be more understanding. And, and so are you. Now, if you work in an office environment, this is where like your one-on-one conversations become so critical. You take that time to not only touch base on the work, but also building up connections that matter. I talked about this from a different perspective in Voyager, the cloud, but the same principle applies here. Connecting on a personal level does not mean being Facebook friends or going out together on the weekends. You are still in a professional relationship, so so there have to be some boundaries. Those boundaries, though, they, they can be pretty hard to define. So I use, I use what I call the U-Haul test. If the person you work with that re- reports to you calls you up on a weekend and asks you to pick up a U-Haul and to help them move, yeah, you've probably crossed that professional border. Now, like in all things involving people, that's not a hard and fast rule. I did help a member of my team move before, but, but there were unique and pretty extreme circumstances. Generally speaking, I think the U-Haul rule stands pretty solid. Now let's talk Picard. The first point is a pretty quick one. In fact, you don't even really see it happen in the episode. It's, it's implied more than shown or anything like that. But in the scene when Riker is first reporting on Quan's death, he says he wants more details so he can provide some context to his family. In my years as a Starfleet captain, I've had to notify many parents of the loss of loved ones, but never before the suicide. I would like to be able to offer Lieutenant Quan's parents some explanation of what happened to try to help them make sense of this. And that's all he says. Troy and Worf head out and start the investigation. They update him as necessary. He provides his thoughts, but he's never, he's never directing them on what to do. He's not stepping in and taking charge of anything. He simply trusts them to do what they need to do. Now, instead of talking about the importance of building and demonstrating that trust with your team, I'm going to take a little bit of a different take on it. I'm I'm going to be selfish on this one, and I'm going to start with what I think is a pretty strong statement. It is so much easier to manage well than to manage poorly. Micromanaging takes so much time and effort Imagine having a crew of a thousand people and involving yourself in the details of all the activities they're doing. Ha! I mean, I, I couldn't do it. Just couldn't. But, but I've worked with people that sure try to do it, and I'm sure you have too. 
No, no, man. What Picard does here is the ticket, right? He gives direction. He trusts them to do it. And then he just lets them do it. The episode talks about a medical supply drop-off operation that's going on on the side. And while he might be supervising that, honestly, he could also just be kicking back, drinking some Earl Grey while Troy and Worf are hard at work. Look, it's simple. Don't be a micromanager. It's just not worth your time. It's not worth the stress. You have better things to do, and so do the people that you work with. Now, finally, let's look at Picard as a listener. In the near final scene, when Troy is debriefing everyone on her experience, Picard is listening intently. There's no action to take. There's no decision to be made. And and other than a strong hunch, there's very little that supports Troy's version of the story. But, But none of that matters. What she's talking about is important to her. It's very important to her. And Picard takes her seriously, and he listens to her intently. Over the last two decades or so, I've found that one of the most valuable things I can do as a leader is to listen. Dude, like, people just want to be heard. But it is absolutely mind-blowing how few leaders actually take the time to do that. How... How you do this is often dependent on your position and your role in the organization. When I was a program director, for example, I would often hold office hours for people to come and talk with me about whatever. Now, if I was washing dishes, that probably wouldn't have worked so well. But as a dishwasher, I could absolutely lean on that sink and and hear what somebody had to say while my load is running through the machine, right? Years ago, when I was a supervisor, I was responsible for some some pretty heavy-duty reports. They took me a good, I don't know, probably two hours a day to get through. Quick side story on that. I later learned that almost nothing in those reports ever went anywhere, did anything. So I, so I actually just kind of stopped doing them all the way. What I ended up doing was just saving a file that was named the right way. So it looked like I did the work, but but I never actually did anything. And here's the, <laughs> here's the thing. No one, no one ever knew or found out that I did that. That's a total aside. We'll save a deep dive on that for another episode. But anyway, back when I still did the work on those reports, I worked with a few people that had a lot to say. And I wanted so desperately to stop working and engage and listen to them. But, but I just couldn't always do that. So I started doing a thing that that honestly worked pretty well. But before I share it, I have to point out that this worked only because I had established trust with these people. If you just take this approach out of the blue, it will absolutely backfire. But what I did was ask them as soon as they came into my queue, I'd ask, do you just need to vent or are we going to problem solve? And if they wanted to problem solve, I stopped doing what I was doing and we got into it. If they needed to vent, I'd tell them that I was going to listen, but I was also going to keep working on my reports. That let me get my work done, as worthless as it was, and it gave them an opportunity to say what they needed to say and for me to hear it. So you need to find the way that works for you. How can you create time and create a space where people can talk to you and, more importantly, where you can hear them? 
Join us in the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast Facebook group and share your experiences and ideas on how to listen to and hear people. The link is in the show notes. And speaking of show notes, do not forget to download your copy of Dr. Quinnett's book, Suicide, The Forever Decision. As always, you can follow me on social media at SFLA Podcast on Twitter and everywhere else at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in telepathic residue, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Season 1, Episode 6 of Discovery, Letha. Lethe, Leth, 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 episode six. (laughs) I'll figure out how to pronounce it when I watch the episode again. But if you recall, when we last left the crew of Discovery, they'd released Ripper to the universe. Saru offered us the greatest performance review of all time. We saw some weird stuff with Stamets and another Stamets in his bathroom mirror. Now, if I remember right, we learn more about Michael Burnham and her early years in this one. I cannot wait to watch it with you. But until then, ex astra scientia. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.